Midnight Hot Rod Hellbound Devil Train to Memphis. That's the name of the song that opened the show. It's from the band The Alder Kings. It's from their album, Mr. Creeper. You're going to hear the song in its entirety at the end of this episode. If you cannot wait, go to their website at thealderkings.com or follow the link over at our website, monsterkidradio.net. That's the website for Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. And I am your classic or sometimes not so classic host, Derek M. Cook. I'm going to be joined this week to talk about a movie starring one of my favorite actors, Peter Cushing. Now, listeners know that I produce a Hammer Films podcast. You're going to hear a promo for that later on. And listeners of that show know that I've got a mad on for Peter Cushing. I'm definitely on Team Cushing when it comes to the classic British actors of horror and science fiction cinema. So to talk about the movie The Skull from 1965 from director Freddie Francis from Amicus. Man, this is a treat and it's also a treat that I'm joined by returning guest and friend of mine, Larry Underwood aka the horror host known as Dr. Gang Green. He loves The Skull. He loves Amicus probably as much as I love Hammer. So it was a real treat to talk about this film with him and to open up 2014 with a well i'm gonna go ahead and say it it's a classic now before we get to all that let's go ahead and get through the business if you head over to our website at monsterkidradio.net you can find links to well pretty much everything that we've ever talked about here on the show if you click on the bands and songs link you'll find links to all the bands that have appeared here on the show and by the way if you are in a horror surf or punkish kind of band and want to hear your music played here on the show get a hold of me you can do that by emailing me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or drop me a line give me a call at 503-479-5mkr that's 503-479-5657 just leave me a voicemail drop me a line whatever and we'll make it happen if you have any feedback about the show i'd love to hear from you so we can chat it up of course over at our website you'll also find links to our facebook group our Live 365 channel, our Flickr album, our YouTube page, all of that is right there at monsterkidradio.net. Speaking of our Facebook group, I just started a new poll. Now, you've got to join the group in order to get access to the poll, but if you go ahead and submit a request to join the group, I'm pretty quick about answering them. I never let more than a day go by before checking that, so if you want to join the group, feel free to do so and take part of the poll. In the poll, what I'm asking is what the listeners would like us to do about some of the spinoff projects that we're looking at doing later this year. Now, I've mentioned that we've got a mini-series coming up with a returning guest on Monster Kid Radio. He's been on the show quite a bit. I've talked about it here on the show in the vaguest of terms, and I'm still going to keep it pretty vague because we need to work out all the details, all the kinks, including what feed we're going to put it in. Keep it in the same feed that Monster Kid Radio normally comes out on, or so up a separate feed for it. Now, this will probably be a monthly show and it will run, I don't know, maybe eight or nine episodes. Really kind of depends on how much content we can really create for the Monster Kid Radio listeners. I need to get with my co-host on that, who's actually kind of taking the ball on this. It was his idea to launch this thing, and I'm excited to make it part of the Monster Kid Radio network, if you will. Also, remember, we have the 50 Review Challenge. If we can get 50 reviews in the iTunes store, I'll launch a new special as well. But again, we've got to get to 50 reviews before we can make that happen. And of course, while I'm sitting around at the day job, I'm always kind of daydreaming about what other podcasting projects we can do. I definitely want to make Monster Kid Radio more than just the core show. I have some excellent collaborators that I cannot wait to create some new content in 2014 for everybody with. This year is going to be a very good year, I think, here at Monster Kid Radio. 
not to bring things down too much, but I do want to go ahead and acknowledge that fans of these movies, we lost somebody recently. Bernard Glasser, who was a producer on films like Return of the Fly, Cracking the World, and Day of the Triffids, just recently passed away. This was reported at the Hollywood Reporter's website at hollywoodreporter.com. This was brought to my attention in the Facebook group by listener Chris Mounts. He posted the link, and I've read the link, and I didn't realize he had done a Three Stooges film. Obviously, the impact that he's had on our world here at Monster Kid Radio goes beyond that. Nothing against the Three Stooges, but you know, I'm just saying Return of the Fly, one of those movies that I want to talk about here down the line. So... Rest in peace, Mr. Glasser, and thank you for all of your contributions to what we love here at MKR. I want to talk about an event that's coming up. If you are on Facebook, you've already seen the invite in the Facebook group. The first Monster Kid Radio crash of 2014 is scheduled. It's happening. It involves masked wrestlers. The Hollywood Theater here in Portland, Oregon, is kicking off a new film series called Cinescopio. It's produced by Fusion Art in partnership with the Hollywood Theater. They're devoted to screening Latin American classic cinema from the golden era of film. And apparently that means they're going to show Santo versus the Mummies. Now, I don't speak Spanish, but I don't think the title on the film poster actually translates to that. It's El Robo de las Mamias de Guanajuato. Might have gotten it there. It stars, well, Santo, Mil Mascaris, and Blue Angel, and a bunch of mummies, and I cannot wait for this to happen. We're going to go see this movie. It's going to be subtitled, so it's going to be in the original Spanish. And Cinescopio is going to try to do a panel. They're trying to bring in luchadores and luchadores for a panel discussion. I wasn't aware that we had more than one luchador in Portland anyway, so I'm excited to see who turns out. I'm excited to see if you're going to turn out if you're in the Portland area on January 16th at 7 p.m. Tickets are $8. Now, most of the time you can buy tickets in advance at the Hollywood Theater's website. I don't show that they've gotten that far ahead on their schedule yet, however, but you might want to keep an eye on Hollywood Theater, and that's theater with an R-E at the end dot org to see when you can buy tickets and when you do i recommend you do so because i have a feeling this is going to be a very popular event at least it's popular in my mind because i mean it's santo and wrestlers fighting monsters i mean come on that's perfect monster kid radio material right and hey <laughs> call me a liar turns out as of this recording tickets are now available online so hollywood theater dot org or follow the link in the show notes to find out how you can buy your tickets to this if you're going to be in the area I will be there. I will probably be wearing a Hawaiian shirt, and I will definitely have my recorder. So look me up, and we may even chat it up and put you on a future episode of Monster Kid Radio. I feel like that I've talked a lot. I want to get to this discussion of the skull with Dr. Gang Green. So why don't we get to that right after this? Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Downplace is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling, and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. A podcast about Hammer? I don't want to be the one to cross Tony Stark. This boy has a lot to learn. 
Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website www.1951downplace.com Oh, so it's not just in Hammer. 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films discussion. Monster Kid Radio would like to welcome back to the show good friend of mine, returning guest, Dr. Gain Green, also known as Larry Underwood. How's it going, Larry? Great. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing good, man. I'm excited to have you back on the show. This is the first recording we've done for Monster Kid Radio in 2014. Uh, I can't think of a better way to kick off the new year than with one of my favorite horror hosts. All right. Thank you, sir. <laughs> How have things been going in the land of Dr. Gain Green? Everything's good. Uh, starting off the new year here, uh, working on some new DVD collections, and um, just um, glad to chat with you about one of my favorite movies here. Uh-oh, uh-oh. So we're going to be talking about The Skull, starring our man Peter Cushing. That's right. I'm, 1965. I'm this yeah. is a, This is a good one. It's by one of my favorite studios, Amicus, Amicus Studios, which, you know, a lot of people compare them to um, Hammer, which is... Of course, a natural comparison, both being British productions working at around the same time. But in a lot of ways, although their movies are not superior movies, I really skew more towards Amicus being my favorite of the two. Um, that's not to slight ha- Hammer in any way because I'm a huge fan of both. But I just really something about the Amicus movies really grab me. They really do. Yeah, I think I've seen Amicus referred to as like Hammer's little brother. That sort of thing. And, and really the guys who started Amicus, uh, Milton Sabutsky being one of them, was pretty instrumental in a lot of what Hammer was responsible for with their pitch to Hammer to get Frankenstein off the ground, that sort of thing. So really a lot of what Amicus did is comparable in my mind. They used a lot of the same talent, a lot of the same cast, a lot of the same crew. I mean, the movie that we're talking about today, Peter Cushing's in it, Christopher Lee's in it, directed by Freddie Francis. So a lot of Hammer alum as well. Was there an animosity between the two studios at the time? Do you know? I'm really not sure if there was. You know, I think if there were, we we would. It would be pretty widely known. I think. You don't you don't you think? I would I think mean, so too. I just I'm trying to imagine back then, and and who knows? I mean, Peter Cushing's working for both studios. Christopher Lee's working for both studios. Freddie Francis and them are working for both studios. So I'm trying to imagine was scheduling difficult. <laughs> well, certainly the actors had to be just glad for the work, and you know, hey, here's another studio hiring so let's let's do it i think amicus pumped out some really good uh material over the years i mean the all of the anthology films which i'm a huge fan of it's my very favorite of all the genres which is probably why i key in on on liking amicus so much but i mean all the stuff from well dr terror's house of horrors and the crypt and vault of horror i mean it just goes on and on you know there's some really quality work that they put out in those things they are pretty much well known for the what do they call it the portmanteau Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. this a movie that's made up of like three or four or five different stories some most of the time they're related in some way uh with like dr terror's house of horrors or uh, tales from the crypt it's a group of characters in a confined location all being told a story in relation to each individual person i love dr terror's dr terror's house of horrors is fantastic it's probably the best of the batch yeah there's always some story that threads through and ties them all together. Like an asylum, you're hearing stories from different inmates in this asylum. And right. They all tie together that way. 
you know, like Monster Club, which is the last <laughs> of the bunch. You know, you're being told stories in this this club for monsters. It's goofy, but I really it holds a, a warm spot in my heart. I, I really, really like that movie. I really do like that movie. Wow, I, I don't think I've seen that one in years. That's got Vincent Price, right? Yeah, yeah, Vincent Price, and oh. he he does an <laughs> awesome dance scene at the end. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Well, maybe I'll have to go back and watch the Monster Club at some point. <laughs> some, some required viewing here. That's your homework, Derek. Okay, all right. I'll keep that in mind. Now, another reason why I like Amicus um, is Peter Cushing's eyebrows and Dr. Terrors. Those <laughs> eyebrows are insane. <laughs> yeah. That was cool. I like his big overcoat and hat and everything. Uh-huh. The, the, the whole the German accent and everything that he was doing. It was cool. I mean, it's a good movie. A good, good cast. Much like tonight's movie, he's got a killer cast. Oh this. man, the skull is fantastic. You know, in, in all seriousness, when it comes to Amicus, I liked that Amicus gave Christopher Lee uh, an opportunity to play characters that weren't in control. There's a moment, especially in this movie that we're going to talk about here in the skull, where Christopher Lee actually convinced me that he was scared. Mm-hmm. That he had lost control and he was in trouble and he was concerned for his friend. I don't think I've seen that a lot in the Hammer films. And, and people know that I produced the 1951 Down Place podcast with Scott and Casey. And in those movies, anytime Christopher Lee turns up, I mean, he might be threatened like in you know, Hound of the Baskervilles or whatever, but I never got the impression that he was scared. Whereas in the Amicus films that I've seen him in, whether it's this one or the uh, what's the Jekyll and Hyde riff that they do? What's the one they do? Eye Monster. Yeah. He seems like he's had an opportunity to maybe show a little bit more range. He's not just the villain all the time. He's not just somebody who's always in control. And I do like that. Now, Lee's not the star of the school. I mean, it's Cushing. Lee actually has billed as being the guest star uh, yeah. in this, which I found amusing. <laughs> guest starring Christopher Lee. How does yeah. one guest star in a film? That's <laughs> <laughs> He's such a, I'm sure such a big name at the time, but it's such a small role that that's a way to appease him. I'm sure you put him, tag him as special guest star, Christopher Lee, you know, or, or if you say he's a guest star, you don't have to pay him as much. I don't know. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, the skull was fantastic. Now it's based on a short story mm-hmm. that appeared in, was it a weird tales? I think it's the link you sent me to. Yeah. Written by Robert block of psycho fame. And I had a chance to read the story yesterday. It was the first time. Was that the first time you read it as well? It was. I've always wanted to, and I've seen it in a short story collection on on Amazon. I'm, I'm a big Block fan. He did a lot of, of pulp stuff, and and um, he man, he's such a solid writer. I mean, Block is is amazing. He's one of those old school pulp guys that just the more of his stuff you read, the the more impressed you become. And um, he did a lot more than just you know Psycho, which he's known for. Mm-hmm. But uh, but the guy's impressive, and the short story is very short. I think it was 10 pages long, but it was, the movie was pretty faithful to it overall, I thought. I was a little surprised too. Normally, when you see an adaptation, especially of a horror story like that, I I guess I kind of expected some variations, but for the most part, with the exception of the description of of Marco, (laughs) which you and I were talking about before we started recording, it's pretty spot on. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the thing that I disliked about the story the most is that the story was called the skull of Marquis de Sade. I mean, it, it's right. in the title, it kind of gives away what the skull is. And in the story itself, the characters don't find out, or at least the lead character doesn't find out what the skull is until maybe two or three pages in. 
Yeah. But of course, we saw the title, so we know what it is. But other than that, that's my only complaint. I really like the story overall. Mm-hmm. I think the changes that were made made sense for the movie. Well, they were contemporizing it for the time, and I can't really think of very many changes outside of adding Christopher Lee's character in the auction scene. Yeah, and just the way the skull in the in the short story it rolls across the ground and yeah. flops up onto the onto the bed by grabbing the sheet and swinging itself up on the bed, and then the way it interacts with the character at the end is is very different from the way that it, it happens in the movie. I'm thinking a rolling skull on film would look a little silly. <laughs> yeah, well, that reminds me of the screaming skull, you know, where you got that skull that <laughs> flops and, and rolls across the carpet and stops in front of the doorway, which could have been influenced by. The yeah, story. Who knows? That's that's true. That's true. The screaming skull. That's that's one that I've wanted to talk about on the show in the past. That's that's an interesting one. Did you ever mm-hmm. host the screaming skull as Doctor Gungreen? Yeah, I think I did. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, I know I did. It's in public domain, so it's out yeah. there on all those fifty packs from Mill Creek and Alpha Video and all those put that out. Mm-hmm. So, and as I watched, rewatched the skull for to get ready for this podcast, it, it reminded me a, a little bit of, it made me think a little bit of. The Screaming Skull. Although I think this movie is a better movie than The Screaming Skull. Oh, yeah. How <laughs> <laughs> far? Uh, say, I mean, I like The Screaming Skull, but I think this one's a better film. It is so slow. <laughs> well, to be fair, and, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, there are some moments in The Skull that do get a little laborious. I mean, yeah. I, I like... A draggy in the middle. And, and we'll, we'll get to it, but this all happens later on in the film. If you look on the IMDb listing for the skull, I think one of the trivia bits is that there's like a 25-minute stretch where there's no dialogue at all. Mm. And it really shows and highlights uh, Freddie Francis's direction and Cushing's so good. And Cushing is great in this. I mean, I can't watch a Cushing film now without like watching where his hands are going. Right. Because <laughs> he's always playing and fiddling with something. In this one, he seemed a little bit more in control of that. <laughs> I didn't seem to get the props cushing thing at all in this. Yeah. Uh, but, man, he's great. He's a collector of weird supernatural things. Mm-hmm. He's a researcher. He's a writer. I'm not sure if they really get too in-depth in the film, anyway, in terms of what his job is. Yeah, but he he's, says he's studying the um, the supernatural and artifacts of the supernatural in order to help people understand them more. It's less about believing in the supernatural and more about how people believe in the supernatural. For him, it seems to be a very scholarly approach. Right. He's not a, a practitioner of the dark arts no. in, in any means. It's very, it is very academic, very scholarly. Just, exactly. I'm studying these things, academic approach. Mm-hmm. And, and he's obsessed. He's a man obsessed with artifacts of arcane lore, you know? Now, that's all after the opening credits. Because before the opening credits, we have where the skull came from. We've got that, I guess, I don't want to call it a flashback because we're not really flashing back with the character. But it's, I don't know. I mean, the skull is not a portmanteau film. But there are a few segments in the film in which we do have a section of story that takes place elsewhere. And right. I feel like the pre-credit sequence is one of these sections. The skull is the skull of the Marquis de Sade. And mm-hmm. we learn in the opening credit sequence, or the pre-opening credit sequence, that it's always had some sort of bad juju associated with it. I mean, obviously, Marquis de Sade was a bad... <laughs> I wouldn't want to know that guy. <laughs> right. Well, this is one of the sequences that was added that was not in the short story. But it's my very favorite element of any movie. Almost every one of wow. my favorite films has a grave digging scene. It's oh. just something about people digging. I mean, if uh, going all the way back to uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, if you've got someone breaking into a crypt or digging 
a grave or exhuming a body in some way, dude, I'm stoked. I mean, I'm on board. So this one opens up with these two guys digging into a graveyard, opening a, a, a grave and, and this doctor, fancy pants, getting coming to, to retrieve the skull <laughs> that he's paid these, these lowlifes to dig up for him. Takes a shovel and cuts the head off, mm-hmm. takes it back to his apartment. So already I'm on board 100% right from the right from the beginning. So if there are any news reports about grave digging in Nashville, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> see if you're shooting a sequence for Dr. Gang Green basically is what we're saying. <laughs> That's right. It says Dr. Fancy Pants takes the head back to his apartment. He I mean, I guess it takes a special kind of doctor to uh <laughs> <laughs> think that the this, uh, Marquis de Sade skull is going to be something special to begin with. Yeah, I, I guess yeah. historically that's kind of true, though. Didn't they do something with his, in, and we're talking reality here, didn't they right. do something with his head, study his head to see if there's something they can learn from his skull? And the- I should have looked that up. I should have looked into that. It, it's in the short story, though, um, certainly, yeah. that that's where it came from, that phrenologists wanted to study the skull and see if there were any kind of physical abnormalities that would... <laughs> <laughs> lend a clue to the fact that this guy was insane. Yeah. And what I like is that, you know, they cut the head off with a shovel. So <laughs> everything's intact. I mean, his brain's still inside that skull, which is kind of interesting to think about that. It's not a hollow skull that's been treated, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, you know, there's this, everything's there. It's yeah. just been cut off. Well, Dr. Fancy Pants meets his end. Yeah. Uh, pretty quickly. I mean, we don't spend a lot of time with it. We, we kind of get on with the story, but somehow the skull ends up in an auction where we meet Cushing, where we meet Lee. And I don't know what weird version of eBay this is, but apparently this is an auction for nothing but creepy crawly stuff. <laughs> That's right. And the auctioneer is Michael Go, which is awesome. Another oh yeah. Great cast member. We want to talk about the cast for a second. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's get into the cast. So we, obviously we talked about Cushing and Lee. That's right. And then, and then you have Michael Goh, who does, it's just a little throwaway part here, but it's, it's nice to see him as the auctioneer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got um, a couple of old mainstays of uh, Amicus and Hammer films. Nigel Green yeah. plays a police inspector later on, and he's fantastic. And then Patrick McGee plays a police surgeon. Uh, of course, you know, you recognize him from Tales from the Crypt and a ton of other movies. But, oh, yeah, and he's great. I, Patrick McGee's just watchable. Mm-hmm. I just love seeing him on screen. And Patrick Weimark, he plays Marco, right? Yeah, he's Marco, who's kind of a dealer in this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And in the short story specifically, it's pretty clear that Marco probably gets his stuff through some shady means. Right. In the film, it's it's still kind of there. And yeah. we do learn later that, yeah, he got his hands on the skull through some less than legal activities. But There's a conversation that takes place in both the short story and the movie mm-hmm. where Cushing says, well, where did you get that skull? And he says, hey, you've never asked me where I got anything before. You know, just kind of don't don't ask. <laughs> you, you don't really need to know. Yeah, it's like, hey, <laughs> come on. I'll bring you good stuff. That's all you need to know. Yeah. Yeah. Marco knows what uh, Cushing and what is Cushing's character's name? Is that Maitland? Dr. Maitland? Maitland. Yeah, Christopher yeah. Maitland. And it's the same in the in the story. Now, Lee's character is not in the short story at all. Right. Well, I mean, that whole auction scene is not in the short story. Um, I mean, the pre-credit sequence is not in the short story. The short story kicks off in Maitland's home, and Marco shows up to sell him something. Uh, but, yeah, the whole auction scene at the very beginning is new, and I liked that. I and mean, this is where, I think I was saying earlier, where Christopher Lee felt like he was not a man in control, despite being this large man, this tall man of stature and commanding voice that he has. He is bidding on something and doesn't know why. 
yeah, he bids an exorbitant amount for these statues of different demons, mm-hmm. stone statues of four demons. And he and Cushing are kind of going back and forth on the amounts. And then suddenly Lee just throws out this huge 150,000 pounds or whatever it is. And, and I mean, the whole crowd like, looks <gasps> at him like, what? <laughs> yeah. And then he comes up to him afterwards and says, man, that wasn't worth anywhere near what you paid. Why did you do that? And he said, I don't know. Yeah, I know. And that's, it's like, wow, that's something took over Christopher Lee. This is bad news. Hmm. And, and you can later assume that it was the skull making yeah. him do that. Yeah. Because we are going to learn later that Lee actually owned the skull before Cushing did. That's um, right. You know, we're probably going to spoil a little bit of the movie here. I don't want to spoil a lot of it because there's some great stuff in it. Even though the adversaries at the auction, Cushing and Lee's characters are friends. They're friendly with each other and they're going to have a conversation later on over billiards or pool. Which I thought yeah. was cool. Which, but, fact, did you notice all the balls were red? No, I didn't notice that. They were all a solid color red balls, if I'm not mistaken. I was wow. thinking, huh, what are they playing? Because they're both shooting. I don't know. I don't know. What, what I liked about that, the beginning of the scene, the camera is, and here I am using my hands to demonstrate, even though people can't see that. <laughs> but the camera is set at an angle to where you can't see what table Cushing is over. Mm-hmm. And the way the lighting is, it it feels like he's over an operating table of some sort. And then the camera moves up to reveal it's a billiards table. Interesting. And I thought that was a very cool shot. And it's like, well, I don't know if that's a throwback to acknowledge that Cushing did all this Frankenstein work before or whatever, but it's a very cool scene. Oh, uh, could be. Yeah. And, really- and Freddie Francis being the director of this, you know, he, this guy is just a master director. I mean, I'm a big fan. He did a ton of great stuff for Amicus, mm-hmm. Tales from the Crypt, Tales of Witness Madness, Legend of the Werewolf, fun you know, fun monster monster centric stuff. Well, and he's a great cinematographer. He's an Academy Award winning cinematographer with Glory in uh, 1989. And, and I watched shows. this on the Blu-ray. Did you watch the Blu-ray? I did watch the Blu-ray, and it looks good. I mean, it's a. <laughs> we were kind of joking before we started recording that the high definition definitely brings out some of the wire work. <laughs> yeah, but I mean that's to be expected. I overall, I thought the colors looked good and the transfer looked pretty decent. I thought it looked good, too. Prior to this, I'd only seen it either broadcast on AMC or I have a VHS copy here. And so getting to see it on Blu-ray was really nice. Just picked this up recently. It's a double feature with The Man Who Could Cheat Death. Is that the right. same? Yeah, yeah, it's a Hammer film. Which I haven't watched that one yet. But oh, I'm that's good. Look forward to it. But I really like the Skull Blu-ray transfer. Not any special features. I mean, it's a pretty... Oh. Bare bones release, but it still looks pretty good. I don't know what kind of remastering they did, if any, but uh, whatever they did made it look good. Uh, it's clear. The picture's crisp. The other uh, character, getting back to the characters, the other character yeah. that they added was his wife. They added Jill Bennett was the uh, actress who uh, plays Christopher Maitland, uh, Peter Cushing's wife. Mm-hmm. It was the character that wasn't in the short story at all. Either. No. Yeah. And um, they added her. And, and it's, it's a good role. I mean, it's a good part. It adds a little more suspense and gives Cushing something else to, you know, to worry about her safety. She was, a uh, uh, noticeably younger, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, than Cushing's character. So at a boy, Peter, there you go. <laughs> yeah. And she does not like Marco. No, no. Uh, I don't think anybody really likes Marco <laughs> in the short story. I keep going back to it, but, um, he had a Butler. Maitland had a Butler who yeah. also despised, uh, Marco. Marco's is just a very unlikable character. Very, you know, very seedy. Yeah. Well, and in the short story, physically, he's kind of repulsive. He's just mm-hmm. this walking pile of fat. 
Yeah. Who oozes into the room. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I love where uh, Block says that all you needed to do was put a wick in his head and light him because he's just this <laughs> greasy, fat candle of a character. I love that description. It's pretty good. It really is. Now, he's not nearly as physically repulsive in the film, but he's still a seedy kind of guy. And I mean, he provides Maitland with a book bound in human skin. Yes. Which is in the short story. We do it get is. that. Uh, it's actually made more clear in the short story that Maitland's into this kind of because of, he's talking about the skin being that of a a woman. <laughs> right. The, the pores of a woman's skin are so much more fine than the men's skin. So obviously this is a woman's <laughs> skin that was used to bound this book. It's like that's that's creepy. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> now. In the movie, do we really see what's – we don't really see what's in the book, do we? We don't really get too much into the book. Wait, you mean it's content-wise? Yeah. What's in the book? I think he kind of flips through the pages a little bit. Yeah, but no, they don't make it um, – it's not really clear that it's – that what it's about. It's just that it's a book bound in human skin. In the movie, they make it clear that the book is about the Marquis de Sade. That's right. That's right. And in the short story, it's just a book um, right. that's bound in human skin. I would have expected it. I don't know. Maybe if it was a Hammer film, I would have expected more focus on that book because the idea of a book bound in human skin is just fascinating to me. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me. I mean, you're into grave robbery. <laughs> I'm into books bound in skin. <laughs> well, but there really have been books in in history that have been bound in human skin, and such a thing is a real artifact and. Someone that that's into this kind of stuff. That's exactly the kind of thing that they would be jazzed about. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So Cushing gets the book and Marco tells him, well, if you like that, I should have something else soon for you that you're really going to like. And you're going to pay and you'll pay gladly for it. Mm -hmm. So he makes his way back to his little apartment and and he he opens up the closet and he already has that artifact of the skull sitting Mm -hmm. on the shelf. Yeah. Now, in the movie, it's still pretty mysterious. Well, no, not really. I guess we have that opening credit sequence. I still go back to struggling a little bit in the short story that we already know what the skull is going to be. But, uh, I mean, didn't the family of the Desaads actually have an issue with that skull being used in the story? Like they had to change the name of the movie before the release? Yes, I did read that, which is good. They may, Which they may have originally been planning to use the same title as the block story, but I like it just – the skull. It's, the skull is good. Yeah, it's a great title. Yeah, it really it, is. It, it it works just by itself. So Marco has the skull already, and he's going to go back to Maitland with it and wants to sell it to him. I get the impression that Marco really, really likes <laughs> to uh, maybe take advantage of Maitland. Uh, he probably mm-hmm. sells him some things at a higher cost than they really needed to be at. Uh, so when he, he comes back with that skull, when he wants like a 1,000 pounds, like boom, right off the bat. And Maitland's ah. Uh, that's that's an awful lot. Yeah, and he's like, how do I know this isn't just some some you know just some plain skull that you're bringing me? And he says, hey, look, you, you know me, you know I bring you quality material. If I say it is, that's what it is. And you could tell that Cushing senses something about it, though. There's something about this skull that's just different or wrong or yeah. disturbing. And and he quickly comes to to realize, you know, that the, that this is indeed the actual artifact, the actual skull of the Marquis de Sade. I don't know how you would check that. I mean, when he was like, well, how do you, how do you know? Prove it. Well, they pulled a, a novel off or a, yeah. a, a book off the shelf and read from it that, that was a historical account that the skull of the Marquis de Sade was stolen, which is the flashback that we saw at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So he says, hey, look, you know, it says right here in your book that's on your own shelf that the, the skull was stolen. This is that skull. The books that I probably sold you, so I could be setting this up, (laughs) you know, but no, we're not going to go there. (laughs) That's true. So, while editing that piece, I did hear some of the pops and some of the clicks, and I started having flashbacks to some of the earlier episodes of Monster Kid Radio where we had similar problems, and I apologize first to Larry for for that. I mean, he deserves better than that, and to you guys and gals. You guys and gals deserve better than that. I'm not sure what happened there. Normally, when I record with Skype and the Skype recording program that I use, that doesn't happen. At least it hasn't happened since Tom Doffel worked his computer magic on the Monster Kid Radio machines and fix everything up for us. So I'm not sure what happened there. And I apologize. I took as much of it out as I could. And unfortunately, you are going to hear some of those pops and clicks in part two of our discussion here in a few days on Monster Kid Radio. Again, please bear with me. And Larry, I'm sorry, brother. I ugh. Ugh. Anyway, I suspect the power of Peter Cushing overrode any annoyance he might have had due to these te- Is that a stretch? I don't, you know what? Let's just blame it on the Marquis de Sade. The Marquis de Sade interfered with the podcast recording. That's got to be what happened. That's my story. I'm sticking to that. Now, of course, Dr. Gangreen's going to be coming back in part two of our discussion when we talk a little bit more about the skull and a few other things in episode 62. But between now and then, if you want to learn more about what Dr. Gain Green's got going on, go over to his website at drgaingreen.com. That's doctor as in dr, gaingreen.com. Or just follow the link over at monsterkidradio.net. We will make sure that he is actually listed in the links and podcasts section of the website. So you might not see it in the show notes, but you will see it on our website proper. In the show notes proper, of course, you'll find a link to the Alder Kings at thealderkings.com. You can find out more about their album, Mr. Creeper, and the song Midnight Hot Rod Hellbound, Devil Train to Memphis, which you're going to hear in a second. But first, I need to tell you that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Midnight Hot Rod Hellbound, Devil Train to Memphis. That belongs to the Alder Kings, and we'll talk to you here in a couple of days. (laughs) 